Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa. Samadhi mago asamadhi kumagoti. Just one of my favorite sayings. That stillness is the path. No stillness is the wrong path. That's samadhi, stillness. So this is the path. It is, I always say, it's a culmination of the Eightfold Path. And it's not just because it's the eighth factor, it's like the other factors lead up to that. And that stillness is where wisdom arises, that's where liberation arises. That's what the Buddha realized uh, under the rose up after. Uh, sitting under the rose apple tree many years later, that was the path to Bodhi, to enlightenment, and of course it is the path to enlightenment. And this is one of the reasons why in this monastery we encourage the meditation more than anything else. Obviously during the rest of the year we look after our lay supporters, do building, do much of the admin of this monastery, which is considerable, but this is the best time of the year for progress, uh, for making progress in your meditation. And please remember that, that already two weeks have gone past, and so it's just, it just goes past so quickly. So just grab this opportunity to develop as much solitude as possible, because only in solitude can there be some stillness. Sometimes we call that solitude, sorry, not sometimes, it's always called kaya viveka. Kaya viveka means the solitude, being apart from others, being in your own hut, your own room, if you're in the Anagarikas block. You know, you can see the way that was designed, those in the Anagarikas there, you're not supposed to be able to see each other. You know, so the entrances are all in different sides, and you can walk, you know, hopefully without seeing each other, that's why it was designed that way. To give you that feeling of solitude, so that by yourself, you can at least get this Kaya viveka, the seclusion of the body, and I notice that even if I am in a big room meditating with people, or I'm in an aircraft going all over the place, you close your eyes, and I've got my earplugs, put those on, and then in my ears, and close my eyes, and it's very much like being in a cave again. It's like Kaya Wiwaka. So Kaya Wiwaka, sometimes you don't really need, you know, to be off in a cave. I can create caves in many places in my life. But when you do create that cave, it is that beautiful sense of solitude. All you have to deal with is this you know, body and mind, these five candles, and don't have to worry about other people's five candles. It simplifies things, and simplifying things is an important part of developing the meditation. Kaiwi Waka is what starts to simplify you know, the mind. We do have these huts in the forest because that is helpful. And we do have this, you know, the nice, uh, the nice facilities, the food, you know, the comfortable places. And those of you who've been on the interviews so far, you know that that's what I always ask because that's what the Buddha always asked when he went to visit his monks. He said, no, have you got enough arms food to, to get by? And it's realizing that if you don't have the physical supports, if they are not comfortable, then the meditation is just doomed. So we have the physical supports, and then this is a place, they're in abundance, even in Dharmasara. So we have everything there, and now it's only up to us. 
And the other thing I was mentioning to the people so far in the retreats, because it's such perfect situations, really good people you're staying with, good food, good support, lots of time, you've got no one else to blame. That's really difficult sometimes. <laughs> if your meditation's not going right, you can't blame me, you can't blame the place, you can't blame too much work, you can't blame anything. <laughs> That's difficult for some people. But at least it shows you that, you know, this is where you should start putting the attention, putting the work into settling your own body and mind. To turn it from Kai Rewaker to Chitta Rewaker. And you can understand that Kai Rewaker is the, the solitude of the body. Now you can understand what it means, like the solitude of the mind. You know, to have the solitude of the body and get away from the kitchen, get away from the work, get away from the computers, get away from the books. That's the solitude of the body. And for the solitude of the mind, you've got to get away from all those thoughts and the plans and the business you do in your head. Get away from all the past and the future. Get away from all the busyness of the mental world. And that is what's called chitta, we awake and how can you do that? You can actually build beautiful kutis, you know, in Bodhinyana Monastery, you know, nice rooms in Jhana Grove. But, you know, how often do we go over there? You see people sitting out having a cup of tea, talking to one another outside the dining room. You have those possibilities, but we waste them, we throw them away. We have the possibility to have chitta we wake, to have silence, but we throw it away. And I often sort of wonder why. In many times when I was a young monk, you know, you went to sort of these different teachers and they were always telling you to use your force, use your willpower to stop that wandering mind. And, you know, you tried that for such a long time, but it never worked. And there was something which felt wrong about using your willpower to control your mind. And it was only just, you know, when you started reading the suttas and when you looked at what worked in your own practice, you realized the old wisdom power is what creates the kaya viveka and also the chitta viveka. It is the wisdom which drives you away from other people and just solitude in your own little room, or your own little hut, just happy as you can be. And if you're happy in your own hut, you're not bored, you're not afraid, you tend to spend a lot of time there. If you're not happy in the hut, if you're bored, nothing to do, then you go around seeking other things to do, going out seeking who you can talk to in front of the kitchens of our monasteries or retreat centers. But if you're happy in solitude, they stay there a lot. And sometimes you hardly ever see people. And those are the people I think, great, they're enjoying the solitude. Because you can't force yourself there. It's only the joy, the delight will keep you inside. And that's exactly the same of the trick to have the chitta we wake It's only the joy in doing nothing. The joy in being free from all this past and future. The joy of being free from all this thinking and planning and doing stuff. It's the joy which creates the viveka, the solitude, the being apart from things. It is a joy of solitude, which I talked about a few weeks ago. But this is deeper into the sense of the meditation. You start to delight in this. And I was joking to a few people that 
a couple of years ago. I forget exactly who it was, but there was some person who was having a retreat, the range retreat over in China Grove, one of the China Groovies, and they were getting a bit bored. The meditation wasn't going anywhere. And so I decided, I understood exactly what the problem was, and uh, asked the next person who went into town to drop them off, I think, in the shopping mall in Armadale, leave them there for two hours, pick them up afterwards, and then bring them back to Jana Grove. And afterwards, after two hours in a shopping mall in, in Western Australia, they delighted in Jana Grove. <laughs> they enjoyed it so much, oh, it was so peaceful. And that's sometimes a wonderful thing to be able to do. You know, just because after a while we take the solitude for granted. We can't see the delight. Which is one of the reasons why you have to put effort. Here I go, the bad word, I keep saying effort is bad. The effort to cultivate delight in solitude. To actually to look in your heart. And don't, you don't have to have books and other stuff to look at all the time. Just the wonderful joy of just being alone. You know, in your, in your little hut or your little room somewhere. Being able to walk in the forests which surround our monasteries or Jhana Grove. Being able just to have nothing to do in the whole world. And where you can develop that joy pretty easily. Oh, wonderful, I don't have to give a Friday night talk next Friday. I don't have to go into town on the weekend to do all this stuff for the committee and other stuff. That's what I do. I develop that joy every Friday evening. Joy! I can just stay here and just meditate in my own room instead of go around talking to all these people. Joy at last to be alone. And I cultivate that. So when I'm in my cave, I've been in that cave for many years now, but I still enjoy it immensely. You lock the door, and away from that door, all my business, all these people you know, coming from Sri Lanka or Indonesia taking photo of you, you know, it's kind of irritating after a while. You know, when you first get your photograph taken because people say they're famous, come all this way, take, it's quite interesting. But it keeps going on and on and on, and just, you know, you're sitting up there, people want the photographs of you, and you want to get back to go to the toilet. And it just, sometimes it hurts. <laughs> but anyway, when you go into your room, yes, freedom at last, alone in my own little cave. So I delight in solitude. And I also delight in the solitude of the mind, which is, because I delight in solitude, that's why I can't get in there quick enough and stay there as much as I possibly can. And uh, I say that, you know, when I had my chance to do six months, so-called sabbatical, you know, there were, that was a, an idea. And what went wrong was when another monk had a sabbatical when he came back after one year he disrobed and got married and that was the end of sabbaticals for a long time in this monastery <laughs> so that was really rough on me because I was next in line I mean not to disrobe and get married I mean to have one year just a lot by myself <laughs> and so I had six months by myself that's what I could manage to, to get and what did I do? the people said where are you going to go? are you going to go and uh, go to Tibet or China or just go to this monastery or that monastery. He said, no, I'm going to stay in my, stay here in Bodhinyana. Not going anywhere. You know, that was actually quite sort of a, a, a strange thing to do. What? 
you had six months with no work and you could go travel here and see this and go over there because that's what many monks do when they have time off they go traveling what the hell for so to me I just want solitude I delight in it and it's just that six months was one of the most delightful times of my life just being in one place not having to go anywhere and travel and make arrangements and make sure you get to the airport on time and all that sort of stuff which is really just you get so fed up with that after a while but it's not only the solitude by being by oneself but delighting in it I was telling the people on the interviews that for the last year when I've been teaching over in Nolamara Centre on a Saturday afternoon I've started to develop you know, the teaching of when you begin your meditation to really relax the body you know, as a real purposeful activity. Not just make it reasonably comfortable, but really deeply relaxed as you sit down before you even start watching your breathing. And when it's relaxed, it feels delightful. I give him people the simile. It's like people go to places like Bali, you know, and they go to the beach and they sit down on the beach in these lovely reclining chairs and they feel so happy. They pay a lot of money for it. Why? Because it's delightful to have a beautiful, relaxed body with no tension on it, nothing pushing it, nothing pulling it, no pressure on it, nothing straining. No sort of exercises or running, just sitting down, allowing everything to get loose and free and relax, to allow it to get re-energized. You're not burning any calories, you're just the body's just relaxed, healing itself. And that's a delightful feeling, which is why people do that a lot when they go on holidays. And this is what I do when I meditate. Sit down, create enough body awareness kaya sati, wherever my own body sitting here, and just relax it until I get the delight of a body which has got no pressure on it at all. There's nothing demanding that it move, nothing pushing, no pressure. I make sure that where I sit, if there's a tension anywhere, I try and release it as soon as possible. And I delight in a relaxed body. You know, sometimes you have to walk, you have to work, you have to get, take it to the toilet, put food in its mouth, take it out the other end. There's so much work on this body, just to sit it down, nothing to do for the next hour or two hours. And I, I have cultivated that perception of delight in a relaxed body. And I did that at first because I wanted to, you know, first of all, practice it myself before I teach it to others, so that people can develop the perception of the delight in physical and later mental relaxation. But a strange thing happened, which I never expected, now I understand it, that when I developed the perception of a relaxed body, you know, when I started meditating, the body felt so at ease and so loose, it became more relaxed. You know, the ease, the relaxation, the comfort just dropped to another level. And, you know, it felt even more delightful. And I started realizing that this is a very great, skillful means. That when you value letting go, 
when you feel delight in letting go, the letting go goes deeper. You don't make letting go, you recognize its value by its quality of delightfulness. So my body got really, really relaxed. And when the body's really relaxed, it's so easy to let it go. You know, it's not a concern anymore, it's really nice. And then you could start looking at your mental world and do exactly the same. No pressure on it. No place it's supposed to be. No attainment it's supposed to get. Nothing you're supposed to get rid of. Nothing which is bad, nothing which is good. Just leave the whole thing alone. And just relax it like you relax your body. Because to relax the body, you can't have anything pulling or pushing or squashing or no pressure at all. So have a mind with no pressure on it. Nothing to attain, nowhere to go. Not trying to get concentrated, not trying to become mindful, not trying to be able to watch the breath, not trying to get your nimitus back again if you've ever had them in the first place. Not trying to do anything. Until the mind is delightful. It's so wonderful that when you've got no pressure on you, you haven't got anything to do to attain. You know what it's like at school, at life, universities and work. You've always got things to get done, things to finish, things to complete. Someone's going to judge you afterwards and if you don't do it right, you get the sack and you've got all this pressure on you to get to work, pressure on you to be a good wife, to be a good husband, to be a good person, to be a good abbot, to be a good Adam Garrick. No pressure on you at all. So you're totally relaxed. Nothing, you're not trying to get anywhere or do anything or be anything. No wants at all, as I said, when you don't want to be anything, there's no frustration. All frustration comes when you have wanting something, you can't get it. Imagine if you don't want anything at all in the whole world. You've got no goals, nothing to try and achieve, no enlightenment, no stream winning, no jhanas, nothing to attain at all, then you can't get frustrated. You can't get disappointed. You lower your expectations to zero. That's when you start to get some peace in your meditation. And so that you have this beautiful mind. Now you can start to do that, but many people can't sustain it. And the reason is because they don't notice the delight in a mind which is free, free from wanting, free from craving, free from desire. Those two freedoms which I talked about a lot to many people for many years. Freedom of desire or freedom from desire. The freedom, the power to do what you want and get what you want through your will, through your skillful means which you learn over your lifetime. Or the freedom of having no, no desires at all. Sitting here not having one desire at all. Not wanting to change anything, to go anywhere, to to complete anything. This total, this is all good enough type of mind. And to have that sort of mind is delightful. But you have to put effort in to recognize the delight. The effort goes not into changing what you are aware of, but by developing that perception.
A lot of time people thought effort means to do something and go somewhere and push yourself up to some goal. That is not the effort we're talking about here, the effort to develop perceptions. Deliberately develop a perception of delight in freedom from wanting. And this mind is very delightful when you don't want anything. And just like my body, when I recognized the delight in relaxation, the body got even more relaxed and more delight. Delight is not static. People think, oh, if I just enjoy it, I won't get anywhere. Yeah, Ajahn Brahm, that's fair enough. You know, it feels really nice when you're just sitting here doing nothing, going nothing. But how can you attain anything that way? There is such a thing as Nibbana, there is such a thing as Jhanas, Nimitas and stuff. And if I don't do anything, it will never happen. But the point is that that's not the way the Dharma works. This is subtle, profound, sometimes unexpected, counterintuitive until you realize your intuition was wrong. The way it works is that you sit there just delighting in just whatever's happening right now. Totally at ease, totally at peace with it. Not wanting it to be anything different. And you develop the delight in that. And it gets more peaceful or more still. It does it by itself. It's the nature of it. The delight is the path which takes it into very, very, very deep states of mind. The delight gets more and more. Because you're delighting, that is what keeps your attention there. And the biggest obstacle of meditation, the wandering mind, thoughts coming up, fantasies, dreams, whatever it is, comes up. The thoughts in the mind, you can fight them for your lifetime and you won't beat them. That's not the way to get stillness through the effort. You can suppress them, but then they come up even stronger. What was that? I remember Ajahn Chah's story. You know, when he was a novice monk, you know, he was about 18 or 19, like any other boy, you know, he liked girls. And at, uh, when he saw a girl, you know, he'd just start getting some lust coming up. So for one range retreat, he made a resolution. He would not look at any girl at all. When he went on arms round, eyes straight on the floor, not look up at all. And he thought that, yeah, by that restraint, you know, that he would overcome that lust. And it did work for three months as long as he was controlling his eyesight. But after three months, he always loved telling this story, after three months, okay, my resolution is over, the range retreat is finished, I can look wherever I want. And the first girl he saw, not particularly beautiful, just no, it just blew his sensory restraint all apart. And he had all this lust come up. And all it was was just, you know, you can't use that force. You can suppress your, your defilements for a while, but they're just building up energy in the steam cooker. And you have to use wisdom. You can restrain your thoughts and deliberately, you know, many of you got strong will. I got that. Well, if I really wanted to, I can just stop thinking for an hour using thought, you know, using willpower. At least I used to be able to. And that just got me nowhere. As soon as I sort of let go of control, the thoughts would come up probably even worse than before. And it is so tiring and so unpleasant using that willpower. 
And that's why sometimes people do get so frustrated in their meditation practice. They're not getting anywhere. These thoughts, this restless mind keeps coming up again and again and again. So instead of actually meditating, they go on all these other projects they get into, wandering around, start the retreat for a couple of weeks, and then afterwards they really get into it for a couple of weeks, and then they get frustrated and give up and just restless, and they come and bother me for the rest of the time and the other monks. So that's... that's something wrong there and to stop that so I can get some peace and the other monks get peace and the nuns can get some peace and Jhana Grove can get some peace what we do is use wisdom power why is it that the mind gets restless why is it you can't stay in your hut it's because there's no happiness there you're bored frustrated you are suffering and of course, if you're suffering inside your heart, of course, that's why you leave. You know, go out, do something. Because you're not content there. But when you find delight in those four walls, floor and roof of your hut, you find delight there. It's just so easy to stay for hours, days in your heart. You don't want to come out sometimes. So this is where we learn that when we can develop delight in this, this mind, as it is right now, then that stops all the thoughts. The thoughts just don't come up. The mind doesn't wander. And it's also that delight also overcomes the sloth and torpor, the sleepiness, which is the other problem people have. They keep talking about at this stage of the meditation retreat. Sitting there and they go asleep. Why? I remember, I think I told a story a few, week, for a few weeks ago, I remember as, how old was I, just past 18, going up to Central America and to get to these um, pyramids in the jungle. I had to go from Guatemala City to, I forget what the port was, you know, just to the, uh, to the uh, east of Guatemala City and catching a fishing boat along the coastline of the Caribbean until you got this this river which was a boundary between Belize and Guatemala and then go up there to its end and then get back of a lorry or something. But I remember just the fishing boat left about one o'clock in the morning so you couldn't get any sleep that night to make sure you got on the fishing boat. It was a fishing boat and it took a couple of passengers and then you're going across the coast of the Caribbean when the sun came up. This was summertime so the sun came up really early. And that was the most gorgeous sunrise you know, I'd seen in years. You know, come from London, you can't see sunrises or sunset. There's too much pollution, if not pollution, too many clouds and rain and drizzle. So there you saw this incredibly beautiful sunrise. And I was just so tired and sleepy. Should have gone to sleep, but I just could not close my eyes and go to sleep because the sunrise was just so gorgeous. And I remember that experience. It was a delight which kept me awake. It was a delight which stopped all the sloth and torpor of an 18-year-old kid who hadn't slept all night. And I remember that because that was one of the tricks which I could use to stop sloth and torpor in my meditation practice. If I was bored, had no delight, you go, sloth and torpor comes really quickly and very easily. But when I delight, I put effort into perceiving delight, in just having this wonderful time to be free and just do nothing. 
nothing to talk about don't have to answer those emails i don't have to worry about fixing up the problems in this committee and that committee and just all this stuff about who goes and stays in china grove and who doesn't stay for the 2014 or 15 retreat don't have to worry about anything i really delight in that in having to do nothing and i cultivate that delight so much that sloth and torpor doesn't come you're enjoying yourself. But if you don't cultivate the delight in this moment, if you take it for granted, if you don't put effort to see just how beautiful this is, then sloth and torpor will grab you too many times. And it does get frustrating after a while. You're dull. It does get frustrating when you're just thinking all over the place. And the only way to overcome it is not by controlling the thoughts, not trying to destroy the sloth and torpor. Please start developing delight. Because when you develop delight, I mentioned this point before, by putting effort to, do, to notice and develop the perception of delight, you're also empowering your mindfulness. The two go together. You know, when, you're, you, when you are mindful, you are very happy. When you're incredibly mindful, you're blissed out. And I've noticed that connection between the mental delight and the power of mindfulness, the power of sati. And they just always go together. High sati, high mindfulness, high delight. Low mindfulness, depression, dullness, bleh, type of mind. I've noticed that so often. So instead of trying to develop mindfulness, because that's what I was taught when I was a young lay Buddhist, be mindful. You know, so we pass in the time. Surprise, it's lasted that long all these years. Be mindful. And so there you were sitting down having your lunch and you're supposed to be mindful. And be mindful. And something was tasting very nice. No, don't swallow it yet. Be mindful. And that, was just, that really sucked after a while. I just, you got into it, forgot about being mindful and just enjoyed your lunch. And you're always trying to be mindful. And it never worked. You just got tired and more sloth and torpor. But it's true that developing mindfulness is an important part of the path. And once you are mindful, once you've developed it, meditation and life is so easy. You can see all the problems and all the difficulties. You can zap them straight away when you've got high mindfulness. You know, you can sort of avoid all the problems of you know, monastic life because you see them coming because you're really aware. But, you know, how do you get to that point of having strong mindfulness? By developing delight. Because I know if I start developing delight in my cave, just, wow, I've got a whole afternoon, nothing to do, just meditate, wow. Then the delight gets generated, and then with it the mindfulness. Just like when I relax my body when I start meditating, just really delighting and just, oh, really relaxed. Just feel my legs just sort of go sinking into, the, into the, uh, the mat or the mattress, which I usually sit on. See the knees just get all loose and open up. It's delightful. And it also means that I become more aware of my body. I see that when I'm just relaxing my body, noticing the delight, aware, relaxing more, delighting more, aware more, it just feeds on each other, the delight and the mindfulness. 
And I do exactly the same when I'm in my mental world. Relaxing my mental world, delighting in just having nothing to do, just being in this moment. No, to hell with the future, who cares about the past? It is, you can't be bothered to think. You know, just delighting in being still and peaceful. And it gets deeper and deeper. And with the deepening of that delight and that peace, the mindfulness gets stronger. And you so say you get to that pivot point, you know, which actually I'm bringing that pivot point closer to the beginning of the meditation. You're delighting in things. And once you're delighting in the meditation, there you're away. You meditate for hours. There's no, it's no struggle anymore. You're just doing something you love. And it's just the med, the, not only because you love it, but it becomes such a very peaceful, rewarding, satisfying experience. Really peaceful, but it's also pregnant with so many insights. You know, when you're not wanting anything, you get still peace, everything you ever wanted. And just, but when you start wanting something, you know, it just all goes pear shaped. When you try to strive for something and get something other than just developing this delight, which I'm focusing on in this talk, you're just always in the future trying to get somewhere. You never reach it, just like the old donkey trying to chase the carrot. He never gets to it until it stops and then a carrot comes to it. You all know that parable, which is a brilliant one. One of the best I've ever made, that one. That, I think the donkey uh, parable and the driverless bus were my two favorite ones. But the delight starts to get really strong. That's all you need to do. Just develop the delight which comes from the freedom of wanting. The happiness of having no desire, no craving, not wanting to get anywhere. Totally relaxed and free. And then that starts to really take off. As it starts to take off, then the delight gets happier and happier and happier. If the delight starts to disappear, it's because you have spoiled it. You've done something, you've wanted something. Or either that or you haven't you've been lax with the cultivation of the perception of delight. You've taken it for granted. You think, ah, oh, delight's here, I don't have to do anything anymore. Keep focusing on the delight, cultivate that. Many times people say what you should focus on in meditation. I usually say, just make peace, be kind, be gentle. No, I'm saying focus on the delight of doing nothing. And the delight gets stronger and stronger. And it's not that long before the delight feeds the mind such strong energy that the mind becomes incandescent. Nimitas come. That's what happens. You feel it so much delight, so much energy. You get these beautiful lights come up in the mind. And these lights come up in, I don't know if there's any, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, the beautiful lights and you, the delight is still there but you must remember even when the lights come up just cultivate the delight oh just being here this is good enough delight in the relaxation in the peace and when the lights come up forget what colour they are how big they are how bright they are just carry on cultivating the delight in those so nice so beautiful so when you focus on the delight 
the delight keeps you still. If you focus on the opposite of delight, what's missing? The nimitta isn't strong enough, it's not brilliant enough, there's dark places in the nimitta, it's moving around so much, that's not perceiving the delight, that's perceiving what's wrong with it, that's the fault-finding mind. The delightful mind is totally different than the fault-finding mind. The delightful mind is so happy just to have something to eat today. It doesn't just say, oh, but you haven't put out the, the butter today. Oh, you haven't put out the, the cereal this morning or whatever. The, that's the fault-finding mind. The delightful mind, oh, wow, we've got breakfast this morning. Great. You've got a beautiful light come up. Great. Yeah, it may not be the best light. It may not be brilliant. It may be all over the place, but it's a light, a limiter. Wow, great. You delight in it. And just like relaxing the body because you delight in the feeling of being relaxed. <sighs> you don't want anything more. You don't struggle and strive and push and put pressure on your limiter to do anything. It's just there. You're just delighting in this moment. And of course, you know what's going to happen next. That really starts to blow up, that nimitta. Wow. Brilliant. And then you start to know what this delight really is. The mind is really peaceful, really still, powerfully still. Sometimes it's weird. How can something so powerful be so absolutely still? How can you have huge energy, incredible peace at the same time? That's what it's like. Things which, you know, in the outside world cannot coexist, you know, do actually occur together in the, the mental world of meditation. Power and stillness, you know, bliss and deep, deep, deep peace. Now, not only are you blissing out now and having a great time, the most important part of this is actually the why. Why does this work? Why? When you try so hard, you just fall asleep or go thinking so much. Because the path is, but no traveler on it is seen. You've traveled. Cultivating delight in letting go, in just a body which is relaxed. It's not doing anything, it's not going anywhere, it's not making anything happen. It's just sitting there, cultivating a mind, which is not making anything happen, which is not doing anything, it's just sitting inside itself. You start to realize just you know, the noble truth of letting go. Exactly as a Buddha taught, it's what we do with the meditation. And all this stuff about watching your breath at the tip of the nose and stuff, oh, just sometimes, and I did that for far too long, stop watching the breath at the tip of the nose, I just just let go and be still. The, sooner or later, the, the light from the present moment, the breath is there. Never ever go searching for it these days. Because I know, you start searching for the breath, you're doing the meditation again. Yeah, you get to a certain point, but you're not really getting delightful. You can't sustain it, it won't work. You may work for a few days, but after a while you're just fed up and you go to another place or another teacher, thinking the next teacher might sort of help you. But it's the wrong method of doing things. Develop delight in this relaxing the body, delight 
in doing nothing in the mind. Delight in freedom. Freedom from having to achieve anything. Because all those achievements, you know that all comes from ego. I want to get jhana. I, me, want to become stream winner. You know that that is totally un-Buddhist. We don't do attainments. We don't give medals at the end of the retreat for jhana and and you know the first jhana medal, second jhana medal, third jhana medal, fourth jhana medal. We don't do that. There's a reason. And the reason is because that's the, totally the wrong path. It's, it's a sense of self-vanishing, disappearing, attainments. There's no one to hang the medal on. Nothing to hang the medal on. I remember just, what was it, the Catch-22, the book and the movie, for those of you my generation. This guy was awarded a medal, and you know he was trying to actually to make out that he was crazy and mad, because if he was crazy and mad, then he'd get sent back home from the war. That was Catch-22. If you claimed to be crazy, then it meant you were wise enough, you couldn't be crazy. So to get out on, on, on grounds of insanity, you couldn't claim it. So he was trying to prove he was insane. So when he was awarded this medal, he went on the parade ground and the general came on, but he had no uniform on at all, totally naked. So the general had no place to hang the medal on him. <laughs> and, you know, he's trying to prove he was crazy to get sent back home, but still they wouldn't send him back home. So the medal, I don't know what the... I forget, actually. Do you remember what happened to the medal, what he did with it? Just put his hand on his head or something, I forget what. But anyway, that's like, you know, jhanas. You know, who attains the jhanas? Who attains arahat? There's no place to stick it onto. You know, you could... I remember just getting those um, certificates, your, your BA and MA certificate from Cambridge. At least, you know, my mother had a wall she could stick it onto. But you know, your Arahat certificate, there's, there's no place to stick it to. Once you're an Arahat, there's nothing there, nothing left. Which is one of the reasons why that it's nice to imagine you're an Arahat. I told that to a few people at the beginning of this, uh, on the interviews. Sit down. And you start meditating, imagine you're fully enlightened. So you've done it, you've achieved, you don't have nothing to do anymore. You don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to try and get jhanas anymore you know you don't have to do it. what's done is been done imagine that so you sit here nothing to do i'm already enlightened just sit here and just enjoy try that imagine it there's a few of you a couple of you here are professional actors you should be able to do that come on assume the role of being the arahat you know been there done that done everything nothing more to achieve you sit there and imagine that while you're meditating. It means you just delight in doing nothing. You're free at last. All of these things you have to achieve in life to complete, to make happen. All these things you have to get done, get out of the way, tick this box and that box. You've got no more boxes to tick. You are at last, at last out of the box. Nothing to tick, nothing to achieve. And you understand, you, you all had enough knowledge of the suttas and knowledge of the Dhamma and meditation. No, that is the, if there is a goal, the goal of just nothing more to do. So if you want to reach that goal, 
Just jump, take the shortcut and just imagine it right now. Nothing to do. Nowhere to go, there's no one in here. And then you start meditating, you have to relax. You've got no choice, there's nothing to do. Jhana is not an achievement. Arahat is not something you reach by effort. So what happens when you let go of craving? You let go of wanting. You get the freedom from desire. You're just sitting here and enjoying the freedom, the liberation. Sitting here having nothing to do in the whole world. And delighting. Delighting in a relaxed body. With no pressure on it at all. No sort of deadlines to meet. Only, I don't know, six weeks to go or eight weeks to go. I don't know how many weeks are out to go. Only so long and then I'm off, my retreat's finished. Ah! No deadlines. Because you've already achieved. You've already arrived. You're there. Nothing to do. He said just to enjoy. Enjoy the peace of this moment. Freedom. The ultimate holiday. Just sitting here by the beach of the Dhamma. Just watching the breath come in, the breath go out. Just like the waves coming in, the waves going out on the beach. Perfectly satisfied. Nothing missing. No work to do. No bills to pay. No emails to answer. Everything all finished and done. Imagine that. If you imagine that, it's such a delightful perception. Developing the perception of the arahat. Imagine it. It's just developing a perception, that's all. You're not saying you are an arahat, because you know, that's a ridiculous putting the sense of self in, into the equation. Just imagine it. Because there's no one in there anyway, you can do that. And when you imagine you're an arahat, you start meditating. So easy. I don't have to try and make it happen anymore. I, my meditation's okay, I'm an arahat, okay. So just carry on like that. And with that perception, your mind can delight in the freedom of having to reach anywhere, to achieve anything, to get anywhere. You're just delighting in this moment. You cultivate that delight. And gee, you get some great meditation. So you start blissing out. Not only is it a beautiful path to have deep meditation, but it's also right down, straight in line with the teachings of the Aryans, with the teaching of the Buddha. This is the way the Buddha meditates. And even though you're not a Buddha, you're free to do it. Why not? Cultivating the delight in the freedom of from desires. Restlessness. Gee, I don't know where that went. Sloth and torpor. Wow, I can't even sleep. You're having a great time. And you're understanding why we have monasteries, why we have Buddhism, why we have meditation. Best thing you could ever do. That's the talk tonight.
Pánov. Pánov.